Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter number 17. Proverbs chapter number 17. We know that the Bible is a very practical book. It tells us so much about life, tells us about ourselves, tells us about how to have good days. It tells us how to have a good relationship with the Lord. And then it explains to us some of the practical things. The Bible is also a counseling book. What do I mean by this? That we know that the best way to study about man is not by studying man. It's about studying God who created man, who can tell us all about man. That we know that we could draw some conclusions just by observation of man, but because we have faulty data and because we don't understand what's going on, we could come to a wrong conclusion. Well, whenever we could get our counsel from the word of God, even dealing with the idea of counseling, of the idea of how man works, about his spirit and who he is, we can learn quite a bit. And this is going to be one that would be more of a counseling type message. But it's going to be such a practical one that this is one that I would recommend that people would take and get the recording and put it on their loop, put it on their podcast to listen to it over and over. Because if we were to be honest, we have a lot of folks who don't think that they're the best person around. There's a bunch of folks that we have that they look in the mirror and they don't like who looks back at them. We have a lot of people in here that look at their past and see nothing but failures. And they wonder, how can I go on? Well, good news this message is for you. Amen. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter number 17. The book of Proverbs chapter number 17. And let's start with one verse, the book of Proverbs chapter 17. And notice with me in verse number 22. The book of Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22, the word of God says this, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark this powerful phrase in the book of Proverbs chapter 17 in verse 22, where it says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you who created us, who knows all about us, is able to guide us even now that we can understand what it is to have a merry heart and have great discernment about how to have a merry heart and what it does for us. Lord, I thank you that you created us and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Help us to understand how you intended us to be made, to function, to live our lives, and that we could find what we can do to be lined up to what your purpose is for our life. Thank you, Lord, that we could understand this. Fill me with your spirit and guide and direct even now and be a wonderful help to all the folks who are able to hear tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Bible says a very declarative statement. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Now, we live in a modern age of medicines and technology. We have medicines to help you when you have your headache. You got medicines that help you when you have cramps. You got medicines that could help you when you can't go poo. You got medicines that will help you when you uh, have high blood pressure, low blood pressure, when your sugar's high, when it's down too low. We, we understand medicines because the medicines are a part of our culture, of our life. We understand that if you hurt something, you go get medicine. If you don't feel well, you go get medicine. That medicines are a part of it. So we can understand that the Bible says here that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. The thing is, is that you don't have to take Tylenol to get the benefits that a merry heart has for you. A merry heart has great physiological, meaning physical benefits. That having a merry heart is more effective than most of the medicines that you could ever take. Having a merry heart affects your mind. Having a merry heart affects your emotions. Having a merry heart affects your physical body. There is a great correlation. In fact, notice the opposite of it in verse number 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. So when you have a broken spirit, and there's many people that have a broken spirit, that they're broken down, they don't like themselves, that they, they don't find joy, they don't have peace, that it could actually affect you physically. Your mood can affect your physical health. Your mood can affect your mental health. Your mood can affect your spiritual health. That we understand that whether you have a merry heart, it affects things, or whether you have a broken spirit, it affects things. That we know that our body, we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. And when one thing is out of whack, it whacks the other two out of place. And that there are times that you are wrong with God in your spirit and it will show up in your physical health or in your mental health. There may be some things that are physically wrong with you and it affects your spiritual health and it affects your mental health. That there are times that you have mental problems and it affects your physical health and affects your spiritual health. That we are made of three parts and our parts are not isolated. They are actually affecting each other. That's why it is a very important, more than important than almost any other medicines you could do or any other treatments is to have a merry heart. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. How do we have a merry heart? Is a merry heart something that we choose? Is it something that's intentional? Or do we have no choice whether we're sad or happy? Do we have no choice whether we're glad or mad? Do we have any choice of whether we have a merry heart or not? Is it dependent on circumstances? Well, let's explore what the Bible has to say and see that we can have a merry heart in every season of life. First of all, as we start off, why is it important to have a merry heart? Why is it important to have a merry heart? Having a merry heart affects your physical body. We know that this verse is talking about our, not just our physical heart, but it's in the core part of who we are as humans. It's in the soul. That having a merry heart doesn't mean that your, your ticker is working the way it should, that you've done your exercises, you've taken your medicine, and your ticker's beaten the way that it should. 
It's talking about inside, the thing that makes you you. That is Mary. That is the way that it should be. It's in peace. Again, as I said, every human is made up of spirit, of soul, and our body. In our spirit, that's where we're God conscious. That's where we relate to God. And when we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And we're able to have a relationship with God himself. In our soul, we have will, intellect, and emotion. In our soul, we have will, intellect, and emotion. With our intellect, we think. With our emotions, we feel. And with our will, we make a decision. We know with our will, we can make a decision emotionally or we can make a decision intellectually, but that soul is our inner parse. That's what makes us who we are, that with our soul, we are self-conscious. And then with our body, we are world-conscious. Our body consists of our five senses, taste, touch, smell, hearing, all those things that they allow us to interact with the world. In the Bible here, it's not talking about our physical health. It is talking here about taking care of our soul, our innermost part, that when our part of our soul is healthy, it does affect the rest of our body. A happy heart is literally like a medicine in the body. Turn with me if you don't mind. We're going to look at many passages today, but notice with me, first of all, in Proverbs 14, Proverbs chapter number 14. Proverbs 14, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 30. Proverbs 14 and verse number 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of his bones. Notice this word sound. The word sound in the Bible is healthy, so a healthy heart. Once again, it's not saying that you've eaten enough Cheerios. What it is talking about is the innermost part of you that is healthy, that is happy, that is merry, that is the way that it should be. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. It is the life of the flesh. Now, this isn't just uh, figurative language here. This is actually backed up by medical science, that your mood actually sets off biochemicals in your body that affects your health. Whether you're having a bad mood, when you're just in the place where you're always grr, you're always angry, you're always anxiety, those actually set off biochemicals in the body that affect your physical health. Living a life full of worry and anxiety and dread and fear cause your body to be a breeding ground for sickness and disease. They've actually done studies on people who are always depressed. You are actually more open for diseases and for sickness to hit you. No wonder the Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. We were created to be people who lived in joy and in peace. Remember, joy is not happiness. Joy is a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that we're able to say, no matter what happens in our life, it is well, that we don't have circumstances that determine us. I work a lot with uh, police officers and with them trying to study their mental health and how they work, that an officer, when they're off doing their job, they will often run into life or death situations. 
if you could imagine how frightening it really is to go approach a door of a car that you pulled over. You don't know what that person may have inside. You don't know what their intentions are. You don't know how they're going to respond. And they're inside of a car and you are vulnerable as you're approaching that car. That's a lot of anxiety. Now, they may get to the place where they're so used to that anxiety that they don't peg it no more, but their body still does. What happens if they're in a domestic situation and now people are yelling and they're trying to keep things calm before someone gets hurt? They're placed in life threatening situations all the time. When that happens, when you're in a life-threatening situation and your anxiety is up, the Bible produces a chemical called cortisol. Cortisol is actually a harmful chemical in your body and it takes three days for cortisol to be flushed out of your system. That is if you are calm and you're able to deal with things. But if you don't, that cortisol doesn't escape and then if you continue to have anxiety, you continue to have fears, you continue to have those worries, you continue to have those frightened things, that cortisol starts building up inside of your system with no release. And it actually biochemically begins to damage parts of the body. That even though you may physically work out and run and try to do these other things, the inside of your body is being attacked physically, biochemically, because of the mood and the things that affect you. The same thing when you are merry, when you are happy, it actually sends out biochemical things that help flush out your system and get rid of those harmful chemicals. This is why the Bible clearly says, not because it's figurative language, not because it sounds great as poetry, God who knows us and designed us said this as a literal physical thing, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Amen. It actually sets off physical changes in you that helps you to become healthier. A merry heart is very important. It's not something, well, I just, oh, no, this is a very important thing. We were designed to be a certain way. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, notice with me in verse number 20. My son... Attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are the life unto them that find them and health to all their flesh. Not only do the conditions of your heart affect your physical body, but it affects your entire life. This is why God wants us to guard our hearts above everything else. Notice verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word keep carries with it a picture of guarding, of walling up. You are ordered from God for your own health to guard your heart to protect your heart, to keep it from being worried, 
anxious, from getting to the place of being fearful, of being at the place of uncertainty, that you can guard your own heart when it's not at peace, when it's fretful. You are to guard your heart and to keep it because it will affect your physical life. Again, this isn't just poetical language. It affects your life, your being, and whom you are. Notice, if you don't mind, as we continue on, notice all of these things start showing up. Uh, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Again, how do we learn about man? We don't learn about man by studying man. We learn about man by studying God who created man, who could tell us more things about us than what we can understand ourselves. The Bible here is giving us secrets of health, of life, and strength that doesn't come from psychology or drugs or coming from going to the hospital. It doesn't even come from the idea of being institutionalized or being put on mental health or these other things. This is dealing with the idea of taking care of our spiritual needs with our inner man, making sure that we are at peace. Now, again, we're just talking about the introduction, about why it's important to keep our heart. Notice in Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15 and verse 15, Proverbs 15 and verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. The word feast here carries the idea of a banquet. We're familiar with a feast. In a couple days, we have what is called Thanksgiving. All of us are going to be familiar with a feast. Many people have a goal of eating where they can't move anymore. The Bible here is talking about that in Proverbs 15, 15, it says... All the days of the afflicted are evil. And that's true. The people who are depressed and whatever else, it just seems like more and more bad things happen to them. Like attracts like. Those things begin to attract to people. Why are bad things happening to me? Because you're expecting them to happen to you. There is something to it. You would start to attract that type of stuff. But notice, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Now, why do we look forward to Thanksgiving? We all say we're to be thankful. We look forward to the food. We look forward to grabbing some turkey and some mashed potatoes and gravy and stuffing. We, we enjoy all of the stuff that you have there and we're going to eat. It makes us happy. We enjoy it. It is a beneficial thing. We're just chewing away, eating away at it. And the Bible says that if you have a merry heart, that's what you should be like all the time. Thanksgiving all the time. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I mean, we look forward to the one time a year. But shouldn't we, ha, wouldn't you want to live like every day's Thanksgiving? Where you're enjoying your day? Where you're enjoying getting to feast and to feed yourself and to benefit from it and enjoy the journey. Notice if you don't mind in Proverbs 15 verse 30, 13. Proverbs 15 verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but the sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. This is pretty powerful. Having a merry heart will give you a cheerful countenance. What is a countenance? A countenance is just not your face. It's your whole body language. Do you know that you could tell what people are feeling just by looking at them? They may have a smile on their face, but the rest of their body is betraying them. You know, 
It's amazing to watch people and their countenance. Anyone could put a smile on their face and lie. What do their eyes say? What do their body language say? How do they move? How do they talk? All of that pays into it. And when you have a merry heart, it will be evident in the way that they move, the way that they deal with people, the way that they respond, their countenance, whom they are. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but they of sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. We all know people who seem to live in that perennial dark cloud. It's almost like the cartoons that that dark cloud follows them wherever they go. They go into a building, the dark cloud follows them. And it's not everywhere, it's just over them. So they step over here and the dark cloud follows them. They step over here and the dark cloud follows them. And it just, just getting right next to them, you could feel that darkness going there. There are people that away. Well, the opposite's true. There are some people so cheerful, they seem to light up a room. You want to be around happy people because it's contagious. I want to be around happy people. I want to be around them. I want to, it feeds my countenance. It feeds my strength if I'm around happy people. That's what the Bible is speaking here, that people are attracted to those with a cheerful countenance. We know some people that can be, be very beautiful on the outside, but because of their uncheerfulness, they're ugly and they're their body. You could look at them and say, they're pretty on the outside, but there's an ugliness to them. Cheerfulness is beautiful. People like to be around them. They don't even care what you look like on the outside. You're happy. They just want to be around you. There's something about it. People want to have it. It affects so many people. And being cheerful makes you more attractive. Which for Christians, this should be a big deal. How in the world are we going to show them Christ if we're grumpy about it? Amen. I hate my church and I don't like to read my Bible. Hey, you want to come to church with me Sunday? No. Oh man, the whole world's falling apart. I hate everything. Hey, you want to go to church with me on Sunday? No. There should be something different about a Christian because of the truth that we have. And it should make it. People are tired of hearing about a Christian. They want to meet one. And where are they going to meet one? When they see them every day. When they see them at two o'clock in the morning, are you still happy? You should be because we have a great God. Let's go on and see some more. Let's go with this question. How to have a merry heart. How to have a merry heart. Notice with me Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, notice with me verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, we've already been there, but let's hit this verse again. Proverbs 4 verse 23, and I'm going to tell you something shocking. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I've already explained that the word keep carries with it the guard, but it implies that you have a responsibility. Did you know that you are responsible for what's in your heart? You are responsible for your mood. You're responsible whether you're happy or not, your joy. It is not people. People do not have control over your heart. 
Circumstances do not have control over your heart. That's you. The Bible instructs us to guard our hearts with all diligence. Why? Because it's under attack. We all know that we're surrounded by grumpy people. We're all surrounded by people that are not happy to be here. And we can't let them affect us. And we don't have to let them affect us. You choose whether you're grumpy or not. You choose whether you're in peace or not by where you're looking at. You control your own heart. We would not be told to to do this instruction if it was not possible and if it was out of our control. There's a lot of people who believe, well, I just can't help all I feel. Yes, you can. The Bible gives us instruction. So how do we do this? How do we have a happy heart? How do we have a merry heart? How do the issues of life spring up out of our life? The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. How do these issues of life spring up in your heart? It's because your heart is the soil that produces whatever you plant into it. Jesus was very clear that what comes out of man is what was put into man. What springs up out of your heart is because you put that in there in the first place. The Bible instructs us to rejoice always. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. That's an instruction. That's a commandment. You are to always rejoice. If we were instructed to do it, then it is surely possible. God would not give us a command that was impossible to do. He tells us to rejoice always. A merry heart is one who is always rejoicing in the Lord. Because no matter what, God is always good and God is always right. If I got a flat tire, God is always good and God is always right. I can trust him no matter what. I heard of an old story of a woman who is known in her town for always praising God. And she was a poor woman who just was barely getting by. And uh, she would praise God because she would pray for bread and bread would show up at her house. People would just drop off stuff and she would open her door and there'd be stuff. And she was always bragging about how God was taking care of her. Well, they had three wicked boys in the town that just got tired of hearing her praising God all the time. And so they said, we're going to do this. We're going to go buy some bread and we're going to go set it. We're going to go knock on her door and go hide around the side. And when she starts praising God, we're going to show up and we're going to tell her it wasn't God that provided, it was us. And so they set the trap. They set the bread there. They knocked on the door, ran around to the side and, and, um, Sure enough, she started praising God. Look at what God did. God supplied again. The boy said, nah, not this time. It wasn't God, it was us. And she goes, praise the Lord that God could use the devil's children to provide his saints. We don't have to allow people to dictate how awful we are or, or how bad we feel. It's all determined on God and his goodness, which he's always good and he's always right. And we could keep looking at him. We could choose to look at him. Whenever we're grumpy, it's because we've chosen not to look at the goodness of God. That was a choice we made. But we could choose to keep looking at God. So let's go over some things of how to have a merry heart. To have a merry heart, first of all, meditate on the word of God. To have a merry heart, meditate on the word of God. What we feed ourselves continually through our eyes, through our ears, and our thoughts is what ends up being planted inside of our hearts. 
The Bible instructs us to guard our heart, to guide our heart in all truth. Notice with me Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. <clears throat> Proverbs 23. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 19. Proverbs 23 and verse 19, it says, Hear thou my son, and be wise, and guide thy heart in the way. Notice this was instruction. You are to guide your heart. The Bible tells us to guide our heart. This doesn't mean that we're at the mercy of anything that your heart chooses. You could actually lead and guard your own heart. No matter what Hollywood says, well, my heart's just guiding me. No, you should be guiding your heart. Your heart can lie to you. We see that in Jeremiah. You guide your heart. Well, I just want to be grumpy today. No heart, you can't be grumpy. God's still good. By the way, that's part of that instruction there. You have to guard and guide your own heart. Notice with me, if you don't mind, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3. Excuse me, 1 John chapter 3. We'll be turning back to Proverbs in a second. But we can see that this is a theme throughout the Bible that we are supposed to guard and protect our own hearts. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And notice with me in verse 19. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 19. I love to hear the pages of the Bible rustling, people looking at it for themselves, seeing what the Bible has to say. And if nothing else, this is a good one to mark all these verses because you want to see what the Bible says about your heart. First John chapter three and verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Notice we can assure our hearts. The word assure carries with it an idea also of persuading. You could assure your heart, good heart, good heart. It's going to be all right. You could persuade your heart. It's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. You don't have to let your heart tell you what to do. You could persuade your heart that it's going to be fine, right? We all have people that say the sky is falling and they are convinced that the whole world is going to end, but you don't have to live that way. Heart, I know that you're scared right now, but God's still in charge. You don't have to let your heart just let you go to pieces. You could calm your heart down. It's going to be all right. Fear not. Look at God. Trust in him. This is the instruction that we have that we are to assure our hearts to the truth, to God's word. This is necessary for living a victorious Christian life. If your Christian life was based off of feelings, none of us would live a victorious Christian life. Because we all wake up sometimes in the morning not feeling victorious. There are times during our day after a defeat where we mess up and we all mess up. May I remind you once again, the qualification of being a Christian is not perfection. It's how you respond when you mess up that shows your Christianity. No one expects you to be perfect. Oh, but it does so much when you're able to get things right when you do mess up. This teaches others, but this is what we should be doing. We don't let our hearts tell us how bad of a failure we are. By the way, we have a whole culture of people, maybe a whole church full of people that really have a hard time liking themselves. 
They don't like who they are. They see their failures. They see how they don't stack up. Everyone's better than me. Everyone's up there. Uh, I messed up. You don't understand what I've done in the past. Our heart will tell us over and over that you're a failure. You're a loser. Why do you even exist? And if you believe your heart, you would not have victory. You have to tell your heart, no, you're wrong. Jesus saved me and he has purpose for me. And I trust Jesus. And you could trust Jesus and his word more than your heart because your heart will lie to you. Again, you have to guard your heart. You have to guide your heart. You have to persuade your heart. You have to assure your heart. You're the one who has to tell your heart what to do. You don't let your heart drag you around because you will never have victory in your life. You will always feel worthless. You will always see your failures. You will always see where you don't stack up. You will always see where you don't measure up. By the way, let me tell you, all of us feel that way. It's not just you. Our heart will lie to us too and say, well, you're the only one who feels like this. Everyone else has their stuff together. No. Good news. You're not the only one. But you can still have victory in your life. It is not even dependent on how your heart feels. It's dependent on God and whom he is. It is well with my soul. Notice as we continue to go on. In order to have a merry heart, not only do we meditate on God's word and we trust in God's word and depend upon it, but to have a merry heart, we also have to focus on the good. To have a merry heart, we have to focus on the good. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter four. Now, anybody who's been in this church for a while will be familiar with this passage because you've heard me say it to you over and over and over and over. So let's see it again. Philippians chapter number four. The book of Philippians chapter number four. While you're turning there, may I remind you that the Apostle Paul is writing this to the churches of Philippi. And the place where he's writing at is that he is currently present tense in jail. This adds a lot to it because this is a book about rejoicing. He's talking about rejoicing and that everyone could rejoice while he's sitting in prison falsely in prison, waiting for people to come lie to him to Caesar so that way he can die. And yet he's telling everyone to rejoice. Philippians chapter number four. So next time you look in the mirror and just don't like yourself or somebody says something mean to you, just remember Paul said to rejoice while he's in prison. Philippians chapter four and verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Again, that is a commandment, not a suggestion. You are to rejoice always. Notice as it goes on, verse five. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. That word careful carries with it worried or anxious. You're not to be worried or anxious about nothing. Nothing. But... In everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. Notice this, we're to take this in prayer. That's our responsibility with thanksgiving. And when we do that, the peace of God, that doesn't make sense. To be able to say all is well when everything's falling apart with you. That's what God can provide for you. Notice how do we do this? Verse number eight. And verse seven again. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts 
and your minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. It starts with our thought life here, that we have to be able to focus on that which is good. Why do people go through depression? Because they keep looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, you're a failure. You messed up. I don't even like you. Why are you even here? Why do you exist? Nobody wants to hear from you. You might as well just be quiet. Nobody wants to hear what you say. We believe all these things about ourselves because we say it out loud. We say it to ourselves. We look at ourselves and those things run through our mind. And we're not thinking on the good things. What should you do? Look in the mirror. If you could even stand to do so. And say something good about yourself. There's got to be something good about you. Then find something else good. Then find something else good. Start thinking about the good things. We do that with people. We like to think about the bad things about people. What can you find good about someone? We like to think about the bad things about our job. What's the good going on good with your job? We like to think about how bad things are in our living situation. What's going good about your situation? Our minds just tend to go towards how bad things are. And then we wonder why we have a hard time living victorious, peaceful, happy lives. Because we're constantly thinking about the awful things. The Bible tells us whatsoever things are true. You know, there's a lot of things we don't know is true. For example, if someone was late or someone didn't show up, I don't know why they didn't show up and I can't assign motive to something I don't know. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe they're in a hospital. I don't know why they're here. It's not because they don't like me. I can't think that. Well, they just, I can't trust them. There could be something else. I can only think on what I know to be true. Not even what I think to be true, what I know to be true. Whatsoever things are honest. There's a lot of dishonest things out there. What's honest? What is true? What is integrity? Whatsoever things are just. The idea of just carries the idea of being, uh, having the just value, justice being done, having the right value uh, given to as a reward. There's a lot of injustice out there and you could spend a lot of time thinking about the things that are not just and just be depressed and miserable and mean and awful. Whatsoever things are pure. There's a lot of things vile and corrupted. There's a lot of bad news out there. There's a lot of awful stuff. And you keep thinking about that and you wonder why you're having a hard time having peace and happiness and cheerfulness and enjoying life. Whatsoever things are lovely. Oh, that's a word we don't have in our vocabulary that often. What's lovely about our life? Not much sidewalk and awfulness. There's more than that out there. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. What are good things you hear? We like to hear about the bad things about people. What have you heard good about someone lately? Ever think about that? When's the last time you heard someone say, man, let me tell you what so-and-so did and they tell you something good that they did. Let me tell you what my brother did. And you're waiting for a good juicy story. He read his Bible today. Oh, that's it? Now you're disappointed because you wanted to hear the bad news. You wanted to hear how awful they wanted. You want to hear where they messed up at. You know what? Praise the Lord. So-and-so showed up at church today. 
Well, that's it? Uh, that, that's your big news? Well, that's good news. Amen. Whatsoever is good report. You understand, this is all funny to us because we don't think like this. This is opposite. You go through your thought life today and you say, well, that didn't work. And then we wonder why we have a hard time being happy. We wonder why we're not cheerful. We wonder why we're not at peace because we violated the scriptures. And yet we are to do this on purpose. By the way, this takes training. You get in the habit of doing things. You get in the habit of thinking negative thoughts. You have to counteract it. How do you counteract negative thoughts? I mean, we think about it all the time. May I give you a practical hint? Speak out loud. Speak out loud. When you start having lies in your head, speak out loud. No, that's not right. No, I do not know why they're here. No, I do not know why they're late. No, I am not as awful as I think I am. Do you know that your ears, your brain is actually trained to listen and to believe what it hears, especially when it comes from you? This is why even in basic counseling, secular and Christian, we do things like go to the mirror and say out loud, I like you. Why say it out loud? Why is it important to say it out loud? Because you say it out loud, your ears hear it, and your brain starts to believe it. Say it out loud. Say out loud what you're thinking is wrong. To try to retrain your thing. No, I shouldn't think like this. No, I shouldn't do this. Lord, help me to think what's right. What is good from here? Ask those questions. Speak out loud. This will help quite a bit. You say, but I'm, a, I'm afraid people will look at me. Listen, first of all, you got a lot of alone time, whether you're in your car, whether in your bedroom, whether you're whatever else, you got a lot of alone time you could do this on. But if not, most people aren't listening to you anyway. So I meant do what you got to do to help you. And they may look at you confused when you say, no, I like me. Well, there's worse things you could have said. You know what? I heard them saying, I was hearing them say that they like themselves. I mean, that's not even good news to get spread around. God has done so much for us. As we start speaking out loud to ourselves, it starts to affect us. What's another thing? Still speaking out loud? Learn to speak the word of God out loud. Whether it's memory verses. If you're having a bad depression day, don't just read your Bible silently. Because you know what you can do silently is your eyes can touch the words of the page and you're thinking about something else. Take the Bible and read it out loud. The more depressed you are, the more that you need to read it out loud. So your brain can stay engaged with what you're reading. And hearing it out loud will calm your spirit and work on you. This is practical stuff that God wants to help you with. And you could be of a cheerful spirit, a cheerful heart, a merry heart. As you speak the word out loud, your mind has no choice but to listen to you. And as it listens to you, it starts to believe some of the things you're saying. What's another thing? How to have a merry heart? Develop gratitude develop gratitude. While we're here in the New Testament, look with me in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you're in Philippians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
the verse that pretty much every Baptist preacher is preaching on right now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know what God's will is for you? For you to be a thankful person. If you want to have a merry heart, develop an attitude of gratitude. Develop gratitude. Be thankful. Being thankful is the key to joy. You know why we're so dissatisfied? It's because we're not thankful. We brought up a couple weeks ago about looking at your refrigerator right after you go shopping and saying, I have nothing to eat. This is, I don't want any of this. You know why? Because you're not grateful for what you have. We're rich, spoiled Americans. We're not grateful for what we have. We would be a lot happier if we were thankful for what we did have. Thanksgiving causes us to triumph, to have victory over our emotions. If you could be thankful for things that happening to you and see God's goodness in it, then you start to get victory. Again, you don't have to let your heart and emotions tell you how to feel. You could be in control by being thankful. If you're someone who thinks negatively and tends to look at what's wrong in a situation rather than what's right, it may seem utterly impossible to change. I'm looking at all the things and looking how bad things are and over here and it's just never going to get better and it's never going to, and you start getting a depression. Start to be thankful for what you have. You can retrain yourself to look for the good in every situation. God would never instruct you to do this if it was not possible. The fact is the way you were designed to live was to be in peace and joy and to have a thankful spirit. This is how we were designed. Again, we've gotten to the place because of psychology that, and Disney and everything else that we let our heart control everything we do. But we let our heart control what we do. Our feelings will lie to us. We'll be dissatisfied. This is why they have so many TV shows where two people were married and now they found Mr. Right and so they're going to wreck the marriage so they could go up there. They're not thankful for what they have. They're dissatisfied. It's also called every soap opera that's ever on television. They're just not thankful for what they have. There's no thankfulness whatsoever. They're always looking for something that makes me feel better. Something that makes me feel good. Something that will take away this. Well, part of it is because they're not thankful for what they have. And those other things will not satisfy and fade away. The word gospel means good news. <laughs> you know what Jesus tried to give everyone? Good news. He wants everyone to have good news. God delights in us. He wants to give you good news, not bad news. What Jesus has done for you is really, really good news. What did he do for us? Well, first of all, we deserve to go to an awful place called hell because we're all sinners. That's the bad news. The good news is that God didn't want us to go there. So God robed himself in flesh and died on this earth to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. Jesus rose again the third day to prove that he was God and to prove that God was satisfied with the payment and that all you have to do is accept that free gift. That's the good news. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to pay money to the church. You don't have to help little ladies cross the street. The good news is, is that he died for you and you just have to accept it as a free gift. That's good news. Any part of your life that's not filled with hope and peace 
is under the influence of a lie. Jesus has very good news for every area of your life. Understanding this will help us to be thankful and have a joyful mindset that we need to have our brain to the place where we develop gratitude and seeing that God has good news for us no matter where you're at. That we could sing, it is well. And every aspect, the dog died, it is well. It's raining today, it is well. It snowed today, it is well. My boss is mad at me, it is well. You don't have to allow circumstances to determine whether you are joyful or not, whether you're merry or not. But you being thankful really does a good deal to help you to be uh, merry, to have this goodness that will actually affect the entire being of your life, affect your health. Just being thankful is one of the greatest things you could do for your health. I know the doctors want to tell you to go work out every day, and I'm not opposed to working out. But being thankful would be a lot better. You really want to help your health and to control your blood pressure? Start being thankful. For those of you who have a hard time going to sleep because you're so anxious and worried and wonder what's happening, start instead of counting sheep, start counting thankfulness. Count your many blessings. Start thanking God. And you'll find, you know what? Man, this is great. I could go ahead and go to sleep now because now I'm at peace. I'm not worried about everything else going on. Develop thankfulness. May I give you another? In order to have a merry heart, speak merry things. In order to have a merry heart, speak merry things. Turn back with me to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18. You've all listened very well. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. And verse 21. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Proverbs 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now we've kind of heard this verse before. But let's apply it here. That we know that a merry heart doeth good as a medicine. The Bible also says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, as we put these thoughts together, we understand that what you say actually determines whether you're peaceful or not, whether you're cheerful or not, by what you say. If you're a complaining person, now we've already talked about thankfulness, but if you're a complaining person, you're probably not going to be a very merry person. Are you someone that can say things are good in the midst of all of it? <clears throat> Some of you kind of heard my testimony on this, but uh, my favorite words, uh, my favorite greetings. But when I was a younger man, before I really surrendered to what God had me to do, I was kind of like any other young man, whether teenager or 20-year-old, and, you know, <laughs> kind of blah, nonchalant about life. And uh, people were like, how are you doing? And I would say, I'm alive. So how are you doing today? I'm alive. I mean, it was a true statement. It was whatever else. It was kind of noncommittal. It's, you know, not nude, bad, whatever. I'm alive. I'm alive. Well, does that really show cheerfulness? Does it show hope? Does it show victory? 
Not at all. One of the things that God switched in me was I needed to say cheerful things. So, all right, as a chorus, when people ask me how I'm doing, I say, good. You know, there's hope there. There's a cheerfulness there. There's something positive, no matter how bad things are. In fact, some people have to ask the question how, to me several times to get to what's going on. How are you doing? I'm blessed. No, how are you doing? I'm blessed. How are you doing? I'm hurting. Ask my wife. She has to do that like three times before she gets to the idea that I'm hurting that day. Am I just being stubborn and mean? No, it's just actually developed into a habit that I'm always blessed. What does blessed mean, by the way? It means I'm favored of God. Well, I'm always blessed then. I'm always favored of God. God has put all kinds of blessings. He's given me good news. There's all kinds of things that we could do. I'm blessed. You know, you start programming yourself to say those things. How am I doing? Fine. You're not fine. Fine. And your countenance shows it. I'm fine. You're not. It's hard to say I'm blessed like this. Start practicing your speech, working on your speech. There are certain things that need to get out of your speech, out of your talk. Complaining, murmuring, pessimism. It's just never going to work out. I don't see the hopelessness, defeat, not liking yourself. Those things need to get out. You need to say good things. God's still good. The greatest days are still ahead. You need to have that type of vocabulary. You say, but how can you say the best days are still ahead when everything's bad? Because it's got to be better than this. I mean, you can still be honest in the midst of everything going on. The greatest days are still ahead. Work on your speech. Work on it so that way it's instant. Let me give an example. We know that when something happens that we have reactions. And with our reactions that we don't have time to think about how, what am I going to say? For example, if you take a hammer and hit the wrong nail, you don't have time to respond. Your body just responds. And usually for most people of the world, an expletive comes out. But do you know that you can get to the place where you've worked on your speech that when a, you hit the wrong nail, that you could still say God's still good and it comes out naturally without you thinking about it? That's how we should go. We've worked on our speech and worked on saying good things that even when we stub our toe, we're not cursing God and losing our testimony and using words we shouldn't have. Now, again, you don't have time to think. It is something that you've worked on and programmed so that way when something does happen to you, that you're automatically still hopeful even when your thumb is bleeding because you've worked on your speech. Now, all of this is going back to the idea that a merry heart doeth good as a medicine. Why do people have so many health problems? Is it because we're just falling apart? Is it because we live in Wisconsin and we don't see sunlight during the winter? Is it just because we are lacking Tylenol in our life? Why is it that so many people have health problems? Now, I'm not trying to say that if you have a merry heart, you'll never have cancer. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there is an idea of your health and being susceptible to it is based off of your countenance, based off of your outlook in life, based off of your victory and your joy and the peace that you have. The Bible tells us this and science backs this up. So let me ask you, would you be classified if we were to take a poll and say, all right, I want you to give a description of the 
thing that you think about this person, happy, sad, grumpy, whatever else, and we all took a poll, how do you think people would rate you? Would you be considered a happy person, a joyful person? What if we had another question? Do you want to hang around that person? I don't want to hang around that grumpy person. Oh man, I love hanging around that person. When I'm around them, I just can't help but to be joyful. What would be your rating be? Are you a type of person people want to be around? Or are you a type of person where you notice that people just avoid you? Why? What would they think? You should be a type of person because of your countenance, because of the cheerful, because of your thankfulness, because of the things that you say, the people want to spend, around, spend time around you because they feel better about themselves when they're around you. Now again, if this is, that's true, then you probably are helping your health in so many other levels. Now again, this is practical. And as we're hitting Thanksgiving, I think a very good way is to be a thankful people. This is our time of year where we on purpose start thinking about the goodness of God and all that he has done for us and reminding that we should be a thankful people, not just one time a year, but it should be an attitude where just Thanksgiving is an excuse to eat turkey because we're already thankful the rest of the time. So where is your health at? I'm not asking what your latest physical was. I'm asking, first of all, where's your spiritual health at? Do you know for sure that you're forgiven of your sins? Do you know for sure that you have a home in heaven? If not, I'd be glad to show you from the Bible and show you how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. Beyond that, how's your spiritual health and the idea of are you a cheerful person? Are you a merry person? Or are you a defeated person? Are you a person without hope? Are you a person that just sucks the life out of the room because you just hate yourself and it just black holes that void. Where is your health? And where is your life? And where is your victory? Now, you are in control and God can help you, but you can have victory. You don't have to let your heart determine how you feel. You could tell your heart how it should feel. But it takes practice and it takes work you'll be better off for it if you learn to do so. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.